when we first published our paper proposing the omega-3 index as a risk factor for heart disease, it was 2004, so almost 20 years now. And we proposed that a level of 8% or greater was really the, looked like the optimal zone. It's not the average, it's not the normal, it's the optimal. Average or normal omega-3 index in the U.S. is roughly somewhere in the 5% area. Vegans, we've studied, haven't studied that many vegans, but the one study we did, they were roughly 3.5%, pretty low. We also did some studies in U.S. Army personnel when they were deployed in Iraq, and they had the same omega-3 index level as vegans have, and it's not because they were eating a vegan diet. I'll tell you that. They were eating whatever Army rations were being fed to them, which is terrible that it should be that low in people that have to be so whose mental capacity needs to be very sharp. Welcome to Nutrition Without Compromise, a podcast brought to you by Orlo Nutrition. We believe that nutrition shouldn't be an either or, that you should never have to sacrifice your morals for your health or that of our home planet. Join natural products veteran Karina Belizzi and experts from around the globe as they discuss healthy solutions that are better for you and better for the planet. Welcome to another interview episode of Nutrition Without Compromise. Today, we're going to dig into the many reasons that people aren't consuming enough omega-3 fatty acids and what you can do to make sure that you're getting enough. We'll talk about how you can also verify that your levels are sufficient to be cardioprotective and protective of your neurological systems, all of your cells in your body. And we're going to get to know Dr. Bill Harris. Dr. Harris is internationally recognized. He's an expert on omega-3 fatty acids and how they can benefit patients with heart disease. He obtained his PhD in human nutrition from the University of Minnesota and did postdoctoral fellowships in clinical nutrition and lipid metabolism with Dr. Bill Connor at the Oregon Health Sciences University. His interest in omega-3 fatty acids began with his postdoctoral work when he published his first study on the effects of salmon oil on serum lipids in humans. That was back in 1980. Since that time, he has been the recipient of five NIH grants for studies on the effects of omega-3 fatty acids, EPA and DHA, on human health. He has more than 300 publications relating to fatty acids, including omega-3s in medical literature, and was an author on two American Heart Association scientific statements on fatty acids. The first, fish consumption, fish oil, omega-3 fatty acids, and cardiovascular disease back in 2002. This is when we first began to be able to make a claim about omega-3 specific to cardiovascular health. And the other, omega-6 fatty acids and risk for cardiovascular disease back in 2009, both published in the journal Circulation. Now, Dr. Harris co-invented the Omega-3 Index in 2004 and made it commercially available to you through a test by Omega Quant. We're going to dig into this today and really begin to understand how you can check your levels, how you can verify what your Omega-3 Index truly is, how it relates to total body health and your Omega-3 status, and ultimately what it could mean for your future health. 
Now, Dr. Harris is also a professor in the Department of Medicine in the Sanford School of Medicine at the University of South Dakota. He moved on as Omega Quant's president in late 2020 to establish the Fatty Acid Research Institute, Bari, where he will go back to his roots of conducting research on fatty acids and health. Dr. Bill Harris, it's lovely to see you. Welcome to the show. Thank you. Great to be here. Great to see you again. You are doing so much. You have done so much in your illustrious career to help correct this global omega-3 insufficiency, if not deficiency. So I'd like to start first, before we get into the meat of it and the science, by mm -hmm. stating a simple disclaimer, because I know we're going to discuss the science, and that is that this information is offered for informational, educational, and even entertainment purposes. It's not meant to treat, diagnose, or cure any of your ailments. If you specifically have a health concern, then you need to be working with a qualified health professional. Anything else to add to that, Dr. Harris? That's a great disclaimer. <laughs> so I have to start with the simplest of questions. Why have you dedicated your entire career to omega-3 research? Well, I didn't know I was going to do that, as it turns out. It's never part of the plan. You just keep going on the next thing. And then the next thing was just always the next question with omega-3, it seemed like. But as you alluded to, we started in the late 70s doing studies with salmon oil, looking to see how they affected blood lipid levels, cholesterol, triglycerides in humans. And then we became aware of the Eskimo work of Dyerberg and Bang from Denmark, working in Greenland. And they were finding out that omega-3s were kind of a blood thinning in a sense, and they were responsible for reduced risk for heart attacks among Eskimos who were eating diets that would make us cringe for how much fat and saturated fat and cholesterol they contained because they were eating largely an animal-based diet, seafood and reindeer. And almost no fiber, right? Yeah, no fiber. Fresh fruits and vegetables, forget it. You don't grow those in Greenland. So in any event, there was this conundrum that Dyerberg and Bang pointed out and found that omega-3s were related. And we were kind of getting on the train at the same time on the blood lipid side, not so much the blood thinning part, although we did get into that. So as I say, one thing sort of led to another. We had question after question that, why did omega-3s do this? Why did they lower triglycerides? Why did they affect blood platelet aggregation, the stickiness of the platelets? And then again, why do they raise HDL cholesterol levels and these sorts of things? Even why do they have an effect on LDL cholesterol, the bad cholesterol? And for those that aren't schooled in these things, LDL is typically known as the bad cholesterol and HDL is the good cholesterol, which tends to go up if you eat a Mediterranean diet, correct? Yeah, right. So I think the first 20 years of my career, I was studying what's the effect of giving omega-3 on X, Y, or Z, whatever, in humans. And then early 2000s, we kind of come around to the how I changed it. I put on a different hat, and we developed this blood test, omega-3 index blood test. And I kind of became uh, more of an epidemiologist in a way, people that study populations and, and risk factors, like cholesterol is a risk factor for heart disease. High blood pressure is a risk factor. You know, we know what risk factors are. But a colleague of mine in Germany, Dr. Von Schacke, and I, came up with the omega-3 index, and we believe it is just as much, if not more, of a risk factor for heart disease than cholesterol is. It tells you a lot about your future risk. And so 
I just became sort of obsessed with, well, how many diseases does a low omega-3 level predispose you to? Or on the other hand, having a high omega-3, how does that protect you from disease A, B, and C? So that's what we've been studying really ever since probably the 2005, 2010, that area. So as we're thinking about this, one of the ways in which you've helped educate people about what a proper blood lipid level might be of omega-3, and really what we're talking about here is the omega-3 is getting into your tissues. So your test verifies the level of omega-3s that are present in people's cell walls, like in their blood cells, correct? Right. Red so bloods. we know that, for instance, there's some blue zones around the globe where people tend to be healthier. And I remember when I took my first omega-3 index test, it was probably back in about the time that you launched, like relatively closely after that, and learned that taking an omega-3 supplement every day and also consuming fish, one of my favorite meals at the time was sushi. And so I would eat a lot of raw fish or get local wild fish and cook that in my own home. I mean, I consume a Mediterranean diet mostly. These days, less on the meat side, but pretty similar to what you would expect people in a blue zone to have. And sure enough, I think I was at the high end of 7%, like almost 8%, right? Mm -hmm. And so pretty good. Very good. I don't know where I am today. But so if we're to scale this to help people understand what would be healthy, what would be unhealthy, and what is typical of what we see in Americans and what is typical of what we might see in vegans. I'd love yeah. to answer those two questions. Sure. So just to back up and rephrase what you said, the omega-3 index test, blood test, is a measure of how much EPA, DHA, so the two marine omega-3 fatty acids, how much EPA and DHA is, is in your red blood cell membranes. And the red blood cell is a cell we have lots of. It's very easy to get access to, unlike your liver or your brain, where you can't assay that. But we can get red blood cells and we can measure the membrane amount of omega-3. Actually, the omega-3s reside in membranes all throughout the body, every cell type. They've all got omega-3. And the red blood cell is a good surrogate for that. We then measure how much EPA and DHA is there as a percent of all the fatty acids in the membrane. And there are 28 different ones that we measure. And the omega-3s typically constitute between, say, 3% and 10% of uh, the total fatty acids in the membrane, depending on how much EPA and DHA you eat largely. So when we first published our paper proposing the omega-3 index as a risk factor for heart disease, it was 2004, so almost 20 years now. And we proposed that a level of 8% or greater was really the, looked like the optimal zone. It's not the average, it's not the normal, it's the optimal. Average or normal omega-3 index in the U.S. is roughly somewhere in the 5% area. Vegans, we've studied, haven't studied that many vegans, but the one study we did, they were roughly 3.5%, pretty low. We also did some studies in U.S. Army personnel when they were deployed in Iraq, and they had the same omega-3 index level as vegans have, and it's not because they were eating a vegan diet, I'll tell you that. They were eating whatever army rations were being fed to them, which is terrible that it should be that low in people that have to be so whose mental capacity needs to be very sharp. So anyway, that's a little rabbit trail. 
So is there a population that has an optimal omega-3 level? Well, yeah, there is. Actually, South Korea and Japan are pretty much, certainly people eating the traditional diet. I think the younger generation that's moving more toward American diets, their omega-3 index is dropping because their intake of fish is dropping. And so it's, that's unfortunate. But the levels we aim for, this 8%, is something that can be achieved with fish. It's not impossible. It's not physiologically irrelevant level. Although the problem is most people won't eat that much fish or the right kind of fish in America, particularly. And especially with the present trend to go more plant-based and I'm in this realm as well, right? For years, I worked in the fish oil space and just got to a place where I no longer felt comfortable supporting mass commercial fishing practices. Yeah, Mm -hmm. And so I've made the transition to mostly, I would say, plant-based sources of my omega-3s. But then when you do that, it's very challenging to get enough EPA and DHA because you can't necessarily make EPA and DHA from these terrestrial sources like chia seeds or flax seeds or whatever. So even if you have a very good diet without supplementation of a vegan omega-3, like from algae, and I mean, fish get the omega-3s they have from the algae they bioaccumulate anyway. So if you're able to take enough of an algae-based omega-3, you can correct for that insufficiency. But I have literally never seen a vegan test out positively insofar as their omega-3 index is concerned without supplementation. Right. And so it's like this one quick piece of the puzzle kind of fits together. I interviewed Dr. Joel Furman recently on this podcast, and he mentioned conducting a study using your blood spot test and the results that came out of it, I think if I'm quoting him correctly, something like 95% of the vegans they tested were under 5%. And of those 75% were under three and a half. Yeah. So very similar. Right, right. Dr. Furman was part of that study, right? Yeah, something like that. And I don't know if I'm quoting him exactly right. I would encourage people to go back and listen to that episode, but just so deficient and their baseline omega-3 levels that the types of health complaints you see come up in a vegan who's been a long-term vegan, dry skin, itchy scalp, sometimes they even experience hair loss. In some cases, that's related to the proteins, but they could also have so much of an insufficient supply of these omega-3s that their systems start to break down. And so, yeah. and what do you want? Your cells are designed to have a balance of these fats in them. And if they're not there, you're using whatever is there to create your cell membranes, right? That's right. That's right. Exactly. Yeah. And we are concerned about when you think about the vegan world, I was just on a podcast with a gentleman from India. When you get an entire subcontinent that's vegetarian, largely, and some subset of that is vegan. So there's some milk and egg and cheese that's eaten, which at least they're animal products that can contain a whisper of omega-3. Uh, The plants don't. So I've never seen a good study in India to see what the average population omega-3 index is, but I'll bet you it's in the toilet. Well, and again, they could correct for some of that with supplementation. Well, they certainly could. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. I think the sad thing too, I I know it's interesting. I remember going to ISFAL in Maastricht, Holland back in 2010. Mm -hmm. And so this is the International Society for the Study of Fatty Acids and Lipids. And what most of the researchers there would say anytime the question came up about health as it related to body weight and metabolism and things like that is 
consuming saturated fat, that's not a problem. We don't care about that. It's activity level. And they would also say, as long as you're getting enough omega-3. Because these two things become related. Because if all you have in your system is saturated fats and then plenty of omega-6s that come from plant seed oils and things like that that are abundant in our diets, then you're making cells from them and your cardioprotective benefits might falter because you're eating processed foods that could also have trans fats in them and other culprits that could damage your health. So what is it that you're seeing? What's the perfect answer? Do you have one? (laughs) Well, that's why we try to focus for the perfect answer for perfect health (laughs) is beyond me. I'll just stay in the field that I know. And I know that having a high omega-3 index or an optimal omega-3 index, somewhere between 8 and 12%, is a great thing that you can do. And it's definitely under each individual's control. They can get their omega-3 index there by supplementing or eating more fish as their diet allows. And that's the best thing to do. I try not to get distracted with other concerns. Like I'm not that worried about omega-6 fatty acids. I think there's pretty good evidence that omega-6 linoleic acid is pretty healthy. It's good for us. And so I I don't get on that omega-6, omega-3 ratio bandwagon particularly. I'm more concerned about people getting the EPA and DHA levels high and not worried about a ratio for a variety of reasons. We can go into that if you'd like, but. No, I think we should, because I'm also reminded of a dinner debate at that ISFA where they posed the question, were you there? I think you were. I was the debater. Yes, along (laughs) with Bill Lands and a few others, right? Right, I think it was Chris Ramsden was primarily the one, but he was representing Bill Lands and Joe Hiblin. Right, so the question was posed you're basically asked to debate that omega-6s were good for heart health. Right. That fundamentally, that's it. Right. And I think the audience, I was in the audience, was surprised to see how much research actually backs up consumption of vegetable-based omega-6s to support heart health. Yeah. And And so, you know. There's better data now than there was in 2010. Yeah, there's evidence there. So, Just villainizing an entire class of fats, which are also essential fatty acids, isn't necessarily the answer, but we do want to go ahead and increase our consumption of omega-3s because we just aren't getting enough, and they're so vital to cellular signaling, and half the fat in our brain and eyes is made up of DHA, so it just makes sense, right? Right, absolutely, absolutely. Less of the bad, the bad is trans fats and processed foods. Yeah, right. Mm -hmm. So, if you're talking about less bad, let's take the processed foods out and let's follow some of the recommendations we might get from the Dr. Joel Furman's of the world who says eat mostly plants, a plant based diet, but a variety of foods, a wide variety of foods, and don't eat processed foods at all. I mean, that's his whole bandwagon. He says, like, not even olive oil in his mind. And that might be extreme for people, but He's just trying to break bad habits and change people's health because we've come to a point where we're just so likely to grab the easy solution and that easy bar in a bag type thing is not going to produce long-term health outcomes for people. Doctors like him are seeing that in practice. And so sometimes extreme measures are needed. Yeah, absolutely. So as somebody who's concerned with my omega-3 index, you and I were having a conversation before we started this. Um, I'm a consumer of omega-3 supplements. I have been for a long time. 
but I also recently stopped eating as much fish. I still do from time to time, right? And so I've been a little wary of taking a test to see where I sit. So I'm committing to take a new omega-3 blood spot test and see where I sit to get my new baseline so I can see if I need to increase my levels with a real fundamental result as opposed to a pipe dream or a thought or a whisper. Now, measuring is important to manage health. So what do you typically recommend people do when they first get an omega-3 blood spot test? When do they retest? What is your ideal? Right. I think when people first order tests and it arrives in the mail in a little bag, open it up and do it right away. Don't delay. Don't think, oh, I know I've not been good. I probably need to up my omega-3 supplementation for a while because I know I'm not going to have a good score and I'll wait and do it then. Don't do it then. Do it right away because you need a good baseline because you're about to embark on an omega-3 supplementation regimen and you want to know how much it affects you. And you can't tell if you don't know where you start. And if you start low, well, welcome to America. You know, this is where almost everybody's low. So don't feel like you should wait to do it. Do it right away. And then after about three to four months of supplementation, do another test and see where you're at. Everybody responds differently to a fixed dose of omega-3 supplementation. So I do want to share with all of our audience here that we are getting ready to launch a campaign in collaboration with Omega Quant. So we have such belief and faith in our product that we're presently doing a comparative study between our omega-3s from algae, which are in the polar lipid form, and comparing it to an equal dose of an omega-3 from fish oil balanced for EPA and DHA with that same kind of construct. So we're in the middle of that study, but we didn't want to wait to bring these results to our audience. So what we're getting ready to do, and this is launching with this podcast episode too, is to actually provide a test free of charge to new subscribers of Orlo Nutrition. So you can just go to our website and subscribe for our two-month supply of the omega-3 DHA or prenatal DHA. We're agnostic. It can be whichever product you prefer. You'll receive your two-month supply at our standard subscription rate, which is 15% off of list. And it ultimately means that you get a couple months supply for less than a dollar a day, but you're going to get your omega-3 blood spot test for free. This is a $50 value. So it means basically we're mailing you $50. We want you to take the test to get your baseline on day zero. So as soon as it arrives, take the test, fill out the card, register online, send it in. And then with your third shipment, which will contain your fifth and sixth month, you're going to get another test to verify your results. So that second test can then be sent in to Omega Quant. You'll get your results in, I was told, between two and four weeks presently and sometimes even less. Well, I think we usually say five days after we receive it in the lab. Ah, Results see? are ready. So That's pretty quick. A week at the most, I would think. Yeah. And that gets sent back to your inbox via email right away. And you'll see where you sit from that three and a half percent on the really bad side up to what, 12% on the high end? Yeah. I mean, we have some of the highest ones we've seen and maybe it'd be 15%. Wow. We don't really have any way to judge whether being at 15% is any better than being at 10%. There's just so little research in that very extreme level of omega-3 levels to be able to, I mean, you can't tell. 
One thing I want to say about the test, we say open it up, do it right away. You don't have to be fasting overnight to do this test. Do it anytime. Yeah. So anytime, that, day or night. Yeah, it's not sensitive because it's not related to your blood. What you just ate, for instance. Right. Because this is also something I think we need to clarify for people when it comes to any fat-soluble nutrient you might be testing for. It takes time for your body to change. Yeah. So much like when I go to get my thyroid checked, my doctor says, oh, we adjusted your prescription so we'll check you again in three months or six months, right? So they want to see that I'm continuing to take something over that long period of time. They'll say the same thing about vitamin D. Oh, you're a little low. I'd like you to start taking a couple thousand IU of vitamin D a day and we'll check you again in six months because it can take time to get that shift to actually happen in your tissues. Right, right. And I'm dreaming of the day, I may never see it, but I'm dreaming of the day when the doctor, instead of, or maybe in addition to saying, you're a little low in your vitamin D, also says you're a little low in your omega-3, you need to start taking more. Yeah. It's gotta be at the doctor's office, like vitamin D. I think it will come after there's an RDI, or a recommended daily intake of omega-3, right? Yeah. Yeah, and that's another story to talk about. But. Yeah, we've been pushing for that for a long, long time. I know GOED, the global organization for EPA and DHA, was very hopeful a few years back that we would get at least a baseline recommendation of a couple hundred milligrams of EPA and DHA a day. That didn't happen. So I don't know. Where are we in that? Well, I mean, when you talk to people about why isn't there one, well, there are a lot of excuses. One of them is that, well, EPA and DHA are not strictly essential nutrients for human because you can live, you can grow, you can reproduce, live a full life without eating any EPA and DHA, i.e. vegan, right? You know, look at India, they're there, they're making babies, they're living and they're done not eating that much, some of them not eating any EPA and DHA. So you can't say in the classical sense, it's an essential nutrient. Yeah, right. they say in a classical sense that omega-3 fatty acids, meaning alpha-linolenic acid, is an essential linolenic acid, right? acid is right. There's an RDI, or I think it's an average daily intake, but 1,600 milligrams a day of, of ALA is recommended. And they feel like, well, we're done with omega-3s. That's all we got to do is just recommend it. And they're not consistent, though. Part of the problem is if to say you don't make recommendations for anything that's not an essential nutrient is disingenuous because they have RDIs for saturated fat and for cholesterol and for fiber, none of which are essential nutrients. And still, there they are with, with uh, recommended dietary intake. So I think, I'm not sure why it's not happening. I know it's, there's something to do with money. It costs a lot of money to evaluate a new nutrient, a new food component for recommendation. Yeah. I mean, I was hopeful they would come up with something back in the day when they were making the first fish oil drug, Omicor, right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, sure. just That didn't happen then either. Have to figure out a way to convince the government that it's that important or yeah. make it a money-making enterprise for them. <laughs> right, right. Anyway, yeah, that's a political fight more than a scientific fight, I'm afraid. Yeah, yeah. So most people in the medical community as a whole, they'll associate things like HDL level, LDL, homocysteine, C-reactive protein, things like that with heart health. If you could just comment on where you think the omega-3 index stacks up against all these other markers, what would you have to say? And especially if there's any doctors listening. I would say that the omega-3 from our published research, the omega-3 index adds additional information in terms of risk, risk prediction above and beyond any of those nutrients or any of those markers, HDL, cholesterol, LDL, blood pressure, diabetes, smoking, 
anywhere, homocysteine. So knowing the omega-3 index gives you additional information that you don't have that you don't predict as well. And that's the whole point of a risk factor is to be able to predict your risk for cardiovascular events or cancer or whatever it is. So it's at least as good at those other things at predicting these, who's going to be having a heart attack in the next 10 years. And if you can add omega-3 to those other markers, all the better. Now, I believe I heard you guesting on another show where you actually spoke about the fact that heart disease really can be a silent killer. Like people don't know they have a heart health problem, especially women, until the event, the infarction. (laughs) So do you believe that this test can reliably provide an indicator for someone who might not otherwise routinely check their cholesterol levels or blood pressure, et cetera? Yes. I mean, I don't want to imply that you shouldn't have your blood pressure checked or you shouldn't check your cholesterol level. You should do everything. You should do your omega-3 level and you should check these classical risk factors for heart disease and do everything you can to optimize all of them. I mean, that's the most logical thing to do. It's just that omega-3 has been left off out of that equation for far too long. We're writing a paper right now asking that very question, to what extent does having information on the omega-3 index improve your ability to predict who has a heart attack above these other risk factors. And it does significantly. What people don't realize is the gorilla in the room of predicting your risk for heart attacks is your age and sex. You can't do anything about that. Okay. (laughs) So that's kind of a fixed 70% of the predictive power of who's going to have a heart attack is not. It has to do with age and sex. And then you add on these other little things like cholesterol and blood pressure and diabetes and smoking, and it just increases it a little bit, a little bit more, a little bit more. But it's uh, remarkable that almost all the water is being carried by age and sex in terms of predicting your risk. And omega-3, it helps. That's not necessarily the worst news in a way, because at least then you're essentially saying to people, hey, if you're a menopausal woman, you might want to get your omega-3 levels checked. Totally, right. Hey, if you're in your late 40s as a man, you might want to get this checked along with your blood panel that you see from your doctor every year. That's right. Because you can't- If you haven't gone to your doctor this year, you might want to, and at least just get these things checked, right? right? And bring- I'm the one who has to remind my husband to go. He's 55, I'm 46. He just let it fall off. He feels fine. Nothing's going to go wrong, right? And then I'm like- I get my annual in January and so do you. (laughs) you. That's right. Good. Keep on it. That's right. And that's another thing. I mean, you can't feel when you have an omega-3 deficiency. It's like a vitamin C deficiency, a classic vitamin C deficiency where your teeth fall out. Okay. I mean, scurvy, right? It didn't like that. It's a much more subtle thing. It's very much like you just are not going to have optimal health. I mean, the analogy people like to throw around of having the right omega-3 index is like having the right amount of oil in your engine. Mm-hmm. Just makes it run more smoothly. And that's not that the omega-3s actually lubricate anything per se, in the same sense as an engine oil does, but that analogy or the metaphor I think works pretty well. Yeah. I mean, because there are so many compounding issues that can make you feel low energy or lack focus. And omega-3s might play part in that. But if you also aren't sleeping enough and you're not getting enough water, then what's really causing the problem? So you're right. I mean, you don't necessarily know. It's not like you can take a litmus test and just stick it to your skin and go, oh, got enough omega-3 today. We're not there yet. I wish we had a test like that. Yeah. Yeah. One day. Yeah, that'd be great. I mean, I do think it's important 
remember that there are some things you can do about your health and some things you can't do anything about, i.e. your genes, your sex, your age. You can't do anything about it. So do everything else that you can control. And omega-3 is certainly one of the main things you can control. Yeah, that's right. Well, I do want to also point out something that came up in an earlier episode. I was talking to a chiropractor about, that's Dr. Forrest Sauer. I was talking to him about test costs. And what he finds is that often the test costs through your medical system can be more expensive than they are if you go direct to somebody like Omega Quant. And this is one of those things that kind of blows my mind because it's happened to me before. In my prior insurance, when I was in a PPO, I would get my labs done and it would cost me $160 out of pocket to do some basic tests that I thought should be included. I've since shifted to an HMO plan and now I only pay a very small copay but some of the tests aren't covered. Mm -hmm. And so I have to then advocate for myself and ask for an estimate for the tests that I want to do. And what I've found is that if I have my omega-3 panel done through the doctor's office, I'm paying an extra $100. But if I have my omega-3 panel with the same results, the same as your index basic test, and I go direct to you, I'm paying $49.95. That's right. Yeah. So It's not always a savings to go through your insurance, which is, I think, yet another impotence for people to actually get these tests done. So I think we have to take a little bit of charge of our health. And in the cases like, for instance, if I want to test my vitamin D more frequently or my ferritin, my iron levels, I just do those over the counter. I take them myself. I don't pay very much for them. They're available at my local drugstore. And if I want to take the Omega Quant blood spot test, I can come to you for 50 bucks and get it done, have it in my hands five days after you receive it. Now, we're covering that with Orlo for our subscribers. All new subscribers get the first test for their baseline with their first shipment. And with their third shipment, which includes fifth month, they get another one. That's 100 bucks. But we're taking care of that for you. So I just think it's a no-brainer. I'm going to actually send mine in today just because I'd like to know what my non-baseline baseline is. Do we get to watch you prick your finger? Oh my gosh, I could do that. You I could do that right now. You could do the whole thing right now. Okay, so here's the test. I'm going to open it up. Why not? <laughs> you don't have to. I'm just... You're going to have... I'm going to say ow on the air. No, <laughs> but it's not that bad. So no, you ship bad. it with these two little things. Lancets. Lancets. That's what you call them. So it's like an actuated tip. And of course, when I push on it, it's going to prick my finger, but I better get the rest ready. I'm supposed to go ahead and break out the band-aids and the alcohol swab and my test card. So I have the test card here. And just to show everybody, I'm going to put three dots of blood. So they're protected under the flap. That's where those go. And then my name, my date of birth, the collection date, and my email address for results to come to me. And I've got a unique barcode. So I'm going to write that barcode down on the test form so that I'm sure I have that as a reference. And I'll keep a copy of that for my records. And then got sterile gauze pad. I've got my alcohol prep. So I should clean my finger first, right? Good, good. Don't just lick it. You should clean it with alcohol. I have two young boys. And so who knows what could be in my office here, right? There are five and eight and the eight-year-old I've taught to swallow his omega-3 pills. So he's taking these every day. Good for him. 
Yeah, I mean, our soft gels are only 500 milligrams a piece, and so they're easy to take. Oh, good. You gave us two Band-Aids, two Band-Aids, two Lancets. Just in case. So, just in case. You just in case. One. So here we go. Okay. It's always surprising, right? But the instructions are also, you don't milk your finger, you just let it drop. That's why you give two Lancets, right? That's the instruction. That's true. Okay. All right. So prick. Not bad. Got a little red dot. Okay. Okay. Just let it touch the thing, let it drop. Okay. Well, I, I put two drops on one of them just in case. That's fine. That's beautiful. But it's not like I had to fill the whole thing. That's not too bad. That's and not now bad. Good job. I've got my overall here. All right. Band-Aid and everything. That was actually quite painless. So we'll see what Karina Belizzi's levels are supplementing but not eating fish. Okay. So, yeah. That will be an interesting journey because it's been about three months of not eating fish at this point. Okay. I mean, I was just saying, the one thing that we'll hear anecdotally about people who are taking omega-3 for when doctors were prescribing it for high triglyceride levels, that's kind of what the drug, the drug omega-3 is used for. People would, of course, you can't feel a high triglyceride, but they'd, they'd feel like their shoulders don't ache as much or their knees feel better. Their joints just seem to feel better when they were taking omega-3, even that was not the reason they were taking it. Yeah, I noticed a couple things that are also not typical. I noticed better night vision. Oh, really? Yeah, I, if I am not taking my omega-3 for just a little bit, I'll go, God, it just feels like I'm getting more glare from people's headlights. Oh, interesting. And then secondarily, I also tend to notice that I feel just a little bit less connected to my gut. And that's another, there's one other that I'm not sure if it's related to fasting or the omega-3s, because sometimes it's like, if for instance, I'm completely off of sugar and I'm continuing to take my omega-3s. So it's not like I'm fasting per se, but I'm doing a fast from all processed sugars. Like I still eat other foods that are more, you know, whole foods, but nothing processed. Right. The, the floaters in my eyes go away. Oh, Interesting. And so I was told by doctors, there was nothing that could be done about that. I just found it annoying. If I look at a big blank uh, wall or something, I see like floaters. Sure. But when I reduce my sugar consumption and I'm consistent with my omega-3s, I don't notice them. That's interesting. Now, I've never heard that before. Anecdotal. Don't know if there's any real science to it, but it's always a combination of the two things. Like I have to not be eating processed sugar. Interesting. Yeah. <laughs> well, there's an interesting hypothesis to test. Yeah. So I don't know. I haven't been able to replicate it with one or the other. So it's like, it seems to be the combination of both. Okay. The date is 42623. That's our recording date. And we're planning to launch this in May. And I'll put my email down and we will see what these results look like. Yeah. We should probably get back on the show and talk about your results when they come in. I'd love that. We could do that. And then you can tell me what I need to do differently if I need to do anything. If you need to do anything. Yeah. yeah. So I'll be curious. I feel like this isn't enough space to write my full email down. I have a long email. <laughs> Take as much space as you need, but make it clear. I think that's. Yeah, exactly. Well, that's great. So then I just going ahead and I'll put that in this pre-addressed envelope. It seems yeah. so simple. Do you want me to put this back in the plastic bag? Is that the... You don't need to, and you can do it either way. It doesn't have to be. Hmm. Feels like I want to. Like, Go what if it. it rains? Go for it. <laughs> <laughs> 
protect it and send it in and be sure I dispose of the lancet so my kids don't encounter them and give themselves a little surprise. <laughs> right. Well, I've enjoyed this conversation so much, Bill. I wondered if before we part, you could share a little bit with our audience about the research that you're excited about and this next chapter of your research life with Fari. Yeah, sure. I think the, the things we're, I'm excited about, one I've already alluded to is trying to get a feel for how, if doctors are feeling it's important to measure cholesterol, for example, in their patients, they do that for a reason. If I can show that measuring omega-3 gives you actually more information about a person's future health, then don't stop measuring cholesterol, but start measuring omega-3 too. We need to give people a perspective on the value of it. And I think that needs to be done scientifically using data from like Framingham study, which is what we're doing this trial in. Other things I'm interested in is how much if you have certain genetic makeup related to APOE, do you need more omega-3 for brain health than if you have a different APOE makeup? I think there may be something you said that you talked to Melody, Melanie, right, about that, or animal work. I think there's evidence in humans, too, that people with an E4 genotype are, need more omega-3 in their diet to, for better brain health. Yeah, I took it as serendipitous because I know that my grandmother had Alzheimer's and Parkinson's later in life. Mm -hmm. And she passed in her early 70s, and it wasn't pretty. I know she didn't eat a lot of fish throughout her life as an Italian. Like, we like to eat our yeah. pasta and sausage and stuff yeah. shells. <laughs> so it's not the Italian from Italy. It's the Italian from the East Coast. There you go. Right. And so, not exactly the Mediterranean diet, right? Yeah, exactly. I mean, I have a more Mediterranean diet than she ever did. And yeah. so I don't think that she was set up for success in that way. Since I learned that I have one representation of APOE4, I have felt that it's somewhat serendipitous perhaps that I ended up working in this polar lipid space as opposed to just a standard triglyceride because who knows, I might have had a difficult time getting enough of it into my brain and eyes as well. That's right. I mean, I know I seem to do okay with a very high dose of fish oil, but I don't seem to need as much to feel as good taking this. So we'll see good. how that fares out and I will share the I test know. results. Yeah, that's great. Yeah. I mean, other things we're interested in, we're, we're seeing that there's actually a relationship between omega-3 levels and hearing loss. Mm. Here's another sensory organ housed in the brain, essentially a piece of the brain as well. Why wouldn't omega-3 have an effect on hearing as well? I mean, so, so many older people have hearing problems. Is there something omega-3 could do with that? I think we can just look at population stuff and see relationships if they suggest studies that could be done, intervention studies. Well, and so, you can reliably test hearing. Yeah. So, I mean, that makes for a very interesting study. I know I've done some of those apps that are testing your hearing on your phone and telling you at what point, you know, most 30-year-olds stop hearing. So I've taken some of these online tests where you use an app and it's saying most 30-year-olds stop hearing this sound by this point or and changes pitch and things like that. And I've always had a very active sense of smell and hearing hmm. and find that I still perform pretty well, but I'm a use case of one, right? <laughs> so I'd be very curious to see what these results pan out to show. Yeah. Yeah. So anyway, it's, we're still having fun. Areas of emerging research, keeping a view on that. Now, 
I know the Framingham study. Can you tell us just a little bit about that? I've covered it a bit on this podcast. So why do you think it's such an important study? Framingham is the name of a suburb of Boston. And it was the first effort at real population epidemiology. Started in 1948. And with the first recruitment of four or 5,000 randomly picked people from this one suburb of Boston. And the intent was we're going to measure everything we can measure. And these people, their diet, their history, we're going to do blood tests up the yin-yang. And then we're going to just follow them. We're not going to tell them to change anything. We're just going to follow them over time and see who develops what disease. They're trying to discover what they, a term that had not existed before, but it's called risk factors. And it was the Framingham study that showed us for the first time that smoking was a risk factor for heart disease and that high blood pressure, because men in their 30s and 40s and the 50s were just dropping over dead in the late 40s and their early 50s from heart attacks. And people thought, well, just bad genes. I don't know what causes this thing. So the Framingham study started connecting the dots. Oh, the people who are having these early heart attacks have high blood pressure or they have high cholesterol. So that's the Framingham study. And that, of course, those people are all pretty much dead now. We did a study in the children of the first cohort called the offspring cohort group of people. It's around 4,000 when it started in the mid-1970s. And we have blood. We measured their omega-3 index about uh, now 15 years ago. And we have now been able to connect an omega-3 level at pretty much at age 65, it's about the age of these people when their blood omega-3 was tested. And now they're up getting up into their 70s. And so we can follow and say, well, who developed dementia? Who got Alzheimer's disease? Who had a heart attack? And we can then look at how their omega-3 levels predicted that outcome. And we always find, or who lived the longest? I mean, we found one of the most important things we found is people who have high omega-3 live longer. From When we look at Total mortality, we look at cardiovascular mortality, cancer mortality, and then everything else that adds up to being dead. And chances of going dying in a fixed window of time is roughly 20% lower if you have the highest omega-3 level compared to the lowest, no matter what you die of. So it's not just a heart disease thing. That's that, that I think is an important message. A high omega-3 is not just about your heart. It's about every cell in your body. 37 trillion of your own cells and another 39 of what microbiota. So, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah, you're right. They don't eat omega 3 either. I don't know what to do yeah. with that. But wow, I mean, I think you've just encapsulated the reason both you and I have spent our careers working in the space of omega 3s. There's yeah. so much you can do with it. And I mean, I'm 20 something years into this endeavor now, Great. <laughs> working in the omega 3 space. You've got a few years on me in that front. <laughs> oh, yeah. yeah. You can still catch up. There'll be a time when I stop. Well, I will continue to watch what you do. I'm such an admirer of the research that you've conducted. And thinking back to those moments in Maastricht, Holland, with debates and yeah. the, everything that we have to learn, there's still so much to know. There's a lot to know. Yeah. Great talking to you. Great talking to you, too. Thank you so much, Bill. Bye-bye. As always, I will be sure to include links to where you can learn more about Dr. Harris and his work with our show notes. And remember, we're doing a short-term promotion for new subscribers. If you subscribe to our omega-3 or DHA products, and that includes our prenatal DHA today, 
you will receive a free Omega Quant blood spot test with your first shipment. You can test your baseline, figure out where you're starting from. And ultimately that's a $50 value for spending less than a dollar a day on your supplement. We'll also send in that kit a two month supply of Omega-3 and along with a beautiful bottle. So this is a Muron Violet Glass bottle. It protects the oil within. You'll get two pouches to fill into it. And this can be safely placed on your counter, in your bathroom, wherever you so choose, just where you'll remember to take it. And because they're in the polar lipid form, you can take them anytime, day or night, with or without food. It won't burp back on you. No negative effects there. Now with your third shipment, which will include your fifth and sixth month supply, you'll also receive a second Omega Quant kit. And then you can send that in to check how your improvement has scored. You can see at that point, if you need to make an adjustment to your supplementary regime, perhaps consider eating other sources of omega-3 foods and really addressing your diet. Now, we're only giving these away for a limited time while supplies last. We anticipate sending about 500 customers us, so it's important that you act now. We're essentially giving you $100 with your subscription. Now, if you're not ready to subscribe, you can always use the coupon code NWC20 for 20% off your first order. This is a gift to our subscribers of this show. As always, you can find our complete blog, including resources that we discussed today and features you won't find anywhere else on orlonutrition.com. If you have questions about what we covered today or topics that you'd like us to dive deeply into, please reach out via our social channels at Orlo Nutrition or you can send me an email note directly from orlonutrition.com. As we close today's show, I hope you'll raise a cup of your favorite beverage with me as I raise mine and say my closing words. Here's to your health. Thanks for listening to Nutrition Without Compromise. To make sure you never miss an episode, subscribe, rate, and review wherever you listen to podcasts. If you'd like to learn more, visit orlonutrition.com and join our mailing list. You'll gain access to complete show notes, features, and informative blogs because nutrition shouldn't be an either-or.